I've had a request for all five, but we don't all know them, so the first and the last verses of the rap sack. <laughs> Hello and welcome to That Option No Longer Exists, the scuffle in the aisle of Labour's broad church featuring me in the red corner of Socialist John Bounds and in the puce, uh, purple, whatever it is this week, not, not holding a rose anymore because his hand was pricked by the thorns of consciousness, <laughs> um, is Mr. my very good friend, Mr. Adam Juniper. Uh, are they poisonous thorns? Um, I, I don't know which fairy tale we're in this week. Um, it's been no. It's, I, I must admit, you, I've, uh, I've just put my youngling to bed. Didn't read him a fairy tale at all. He did actually fall asleep pretty much immediately. I, I feel well, I feel bad. I've recently, that feels a bit like a win. I've bought this. Um, I've bought a book of edited uh, socialist fairy tales by Michael Rose. Of course, recently. you have. I'm, I need to. Uh, I need to read them. Read up on them and. Uh, See if we can, um, you know, weave them into uh, into everyday storytelling. But this, of course, is the podcast in which we investigate politics, particularly from the sort of left and right of what was the, uh, the sort of Labour big tent and uh, the coalition of ideas. So we're we're all claimed to be on the left, um, but maybe maybe we're not. Um, but the big news this week is not really inside Labour, but it's still that reaction to Labour. So, Adam, I'm really going to ask you, what the hell are the Liberal Democrats playing at? What is their strategy? Well, I think I could ask the same about Jeremy Corbyn. And I I think what we're looking at, if we're honest, is negotiating strategies. Both groups seem to think that there's going to be some sort of play for a government of national unity and all of the necessary votes in Parliament, and both are a little more concerned with who's going for what, who's going to get to be leader, who's, uh, who's going to get the public benefit, and there's going to be a little negotiation to be had there, hopefully not a two-and-a-half-year negotiation, but a negotiation nonetheless, and I think what we saw was some fairly clumsy first negotiating step or negotiatory steps from the Lib Dems. Is that what you think? Because I was I was going to break this down in a couple of ways. I think number one, I want to know what the Lib Dems want us to think. What do they what what are their actions meant to indicate to the public? Is it as they're um are they playing to the whole of the public? Are they playing to a tiny fraction of the Liberal Democrat base? Are they playing to Swinson voters, Swinsonites? Is that a thing? Are they, or are they making a play for, I don't know, a particular sort of Tory voter that doesn't want, doesn't want, doesn't want Brexit, but is, it would, would actually rather have no deal than have a Labour government? Is that, a, is that a voter that exists? I don't know. I think a lot of people are a lot more scared of Jeremy Corbyn, even than me. Uh, and I'm pretty worried about him. What's he going to do? What's he going to do to you? Me? Yeah, is he going to come round and tickle your beard? What's he oh, going to do? I wouldn't mind if he did that. That'd distract him from uh, edging towards and a get society that done. didn't have any business at all. Any business doing? Um, well, when you start well, nationalising okay, things, where do you stop? Uh, I don't know. I, I, no one's come to me with a good reason for stopping. 
I, I mean, would you suggest that supermarkets should be nationalised? Um, isn't that actually what Boris Johnson and his cohort are planning to do in the sense of they, they're taking control of supply uh, in the event of a, an international emergency because they're admitting that the market can't cope? Oh, I think you mean that's rationing, isn't it? What they're doing is creating a war. That's just recreating the circumstances that their voters think they liked because their voters grew up just after, but are somehow incredibly nostalgic about World War Two. But there's, there's fascinating stuff, like during the Second World War, this is a complete tangent there, during the Second World War, the, the private sector were tasked with coming up with the, the ammunition and stuff. They were, and they didn't do it, and the government had to step in and organise it. They couldn't do but it. I think the, the private sector's not and very I good think... at pivoting. That's, that's true. But then, nor often are governments maybe maybe academics well, uh, i mean who was it who came up with the uh the atomic bomb which was a real sort of game changer if you want well, it was some academics so, in this uh, country it, who it? we generously handed over to the americans so they didn't get killed um who uh, i thought it was i i thought it was like germans basically wasn't it but but if the, the, the ground zero of uh, Brexit does happen due to a no-deal... If the ground zero of the no-deal Brexit does happen due to the Liberal Democrat intransigence over this in, I think it's important issue, to say that, it's, what, you know, um, I, I'm not a Liberal Democrat, but I would say that they're not the only people being intransigent. Uh, ooh, I'm, well, I don't know. That... But is, is, is their strategy to be seen by the public as to be seen as... Do, do, do we think that that comes across to the general public as um, them being, um, you know, conversational and uh, compromising and, um, and being dialectic about it? Is that... Because it doesn't look like that to me. It looks like everybody else... <laughs> has come together and said they're all going to have a meeting in Jeremy Corbyn's office tomorrow morning. I bet the, I bet the Lib Dems don't turn up. And I think that's... Uh, it's... Uh, yeah, it does not look to me as if they've played it right. But do they think there's a section of the public that want them to do what they're doing? I, I just don't know. I, I don't know. I, th- I think that if you say that you are working towards... Um, what is the word? You know, if you're part of the Remain Alliance, then your goal has to be to remain. I think Labour have not announced themselves as part of the Remain Alliance. So, <laughs> they have not. So No, I'm, I'm just la- I'm laughing that such a thing exists. So their goal is not that. The, quest- the problem is that the Remain Alliance is essentially just then the Greens, the Lib Dems, Renew, the SNP and the Welsh party whose name temporarily escaped me, Blyde Cymru. So all, all of them will have their own politics as well. So what's that? So, let, but let's face it, it's, I don't know, actually, this is, that's an interesting question to ask you as someone who um, is, you know, fairly close to uh, knowing what the sort of policies are from, from the sort of Remain Alliance uh, end. What what are the other parties apart from the Lib Dems thinking? Because as far as I'm aware, all of the others that are in Parliament have come out and said that they will, you know, they work with they work with the Labour plan on this. It's only the Lib Dems that have been steadfastly 
anti-socialist, isn't it? Or are, is there a groundswell of opinion that they're doing the right thing? I think uh, there is a groundswell of opinion that supporting um, somebody seen as neutral on the stamp, you know, which from the world outside Labour includes people like Ken Clark, um, who are people who are Remainers first. Oh, he's not, though, is he? He wants to leave in a customs union. Uh, that's a fair point. But I think Remainers at this point simply means do not want a no deal above anything. You know. Okay. And so the Labour version of a government of natural, national unity, which would be the required thing, um, would be to have Corbyn as leader. So we're asking Tory Remainers and Tory people against no deal, you know, who are looking for an extension, basically anyone against the Halloween deadline would then be forced to vote for Jeremy Corbyn, which is much more of a stretch as a Tory than voting for an in-between character, especially one from their own backbenchers. So I think there's, from if you are not a member of the Labour Party, and especially not one entrenched, shall we say, uh, on one side of the politics, I think it's really easy to say or to see why other people might want somebody else as a leader of a government of national unity. Similarly, um, the Labour ambitions for the government of national unity, which is, I think, a big part of the um, negotiating position we're seeing from Labour, is just to have a general election, which is something Labour always want, or at least always want while they're in opposition. Whereas the, the Remain side, if you like, those who are more concerned about the European issue, would quite like to see a referendum on the statute book before that general election happens. That would be very, very difficult to do, wouldn't it? That would mean the sort of caretaker national unity government being in charge for an awful long time. Yeah, you're looking at a few months, for sure. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, obviously, you can have a referendum rather faster than we did last time. In, but, you know, we probably wouldn't. And it, but, some time but needs to be spent on getting but, the question right. But there, the, the inter, I think, suppose the interesting thing is that there is a supposed majority against no deal, but there is no majority for a second referendum, it, it, not at the moment. Yeah. So that, and I think that's there are two, I suppose, quite interesting things about the idea of this um, government of national unity. One, that's a really weird phrase, isn't it? Because it's not a government of national national unity unless it also includes people who want yeah. to leave. It's, it's, it's a government uh, of, let's say, 52% of people or 52% of MPs who want to stab the other 48% in the back. It's a... It's a it's a it's a government of remain unity or something or a government of against no deal unity and I think that's all it is. What I think what is sort of fascinating about the arguments though it does seem that um, from things that Joe Swinson has said and for things that I've heard reported that some Tory MPs have said but I've not actually seen like direct quotes from them 
is that it all seems that they're using other people as an excuse, like, oh, we'd go with Jeremy Corbyn's plan, but we don't think he's got the numbers from elsewhere. Um, the Lib Dems going, oh, we don't think the Tories uh, that we need will will vote for that. And the, the Tories going, oh, well, look, look the Lib Dems aren't going to aren't going to go for it. It seems like they're provi- you know, almost like providing a little bit of cover. They don't really want to do it um, at all. It all. I think you hit the nail on the head a, a little bit ago when you were talking about the, you know, the sort of internal politics of it. And it does seem to me that the Liberal Democrat strategy is... That it, it, it highlights the fact that, to me, was it... It was that bollocks to Brexit thing, which was a, a shit slogan, as I'll come to in a minute. But that the whole thing about the idea that they all were anti-Brexit above all else was never the, the truth. What they wanted to do was create a position from which they could essentially poke Labour from what they consider to be the left. Um, whether it is the left or not, I don't know, because they've always had... Had most electoral success, both the the Alliance, both the Lib Democrats, both and the SDP before them have had most electoral success when we think they were poking Labour from the, the from the left. I oh, say so you, you're saying you're saying from the left. They're saying they yeah from yeah from the so they so for example at that point they would they would have been poking Labour on the left getting the sort of anti-authoritarian uh, things so Labour would introduce ID cards and the Lib Dems are going to be on the on the left of that uh, well the liberal side of that uh-huh. whether or not you can say that left right yes yes That's, and this is where we get into trouble isn't it because I, I guess I am a bit of a liberal well uh, yeah I think we can talk I think we talk about authoritarianism and liberalism and left and right on slightly different axes but it's um, but I think the what the liberals are doing, and by by rights, that is in their name. They they've they, they've considered that remain at all costs is a a position to which to poke Labour from. But it looks it becomes increasingly obvious to me, or at least increasing seems increasingly obvious that the idea is that that was simply a position to poke Labour from. It wasn't that that was the best policy, that was the policy they cared about, that was the one they genuinely cared about above all else. It just seemed the good position. And now Labour's position has shifted. I don't think they're poking that. I see. I mean, I, I think that what you're being is a little bit paranoid. I think you're looking at the Lib Dems and saying, oh, they're poking Labour from that position. And that position is just as effective against the Tories and the Lib Dems are actually going to find more seats they can take from the Tories, not least because the Tories have more seats than Labour, um, but also because that is you know, a significant issue for them and an issue that the Tories are divided down. So I think what you're looking at is actually poking people on a political issue that no longer lives in the left or the right. But, OK, well, let's accept, say that you're right on that, is it, but that does still mean that they are... They are taking a political position for their own gain, and actually, what they're saying is they're saying bollocks think, to bollocks I, to Brexit, aren't they? Because they're. I don't think it's taken. I, I think, on this one occasion, I think it is. I would say it's very patriotic to want Britain to remain in the EU, because, I, you know, creating an economic catastrophe for no good reason is very rarely patriotic. Um, so, I, 
I struggle to find it as a, as a politically problem. What I where I see the um, the politics is is getting into the people being a bit more practical and positioning themselves for afterwards, positioning themselves for an election that might come along just a bit after Brexit is an issue. The but I don't. But if they don't step step up to the plate now, they're going to get no deal before that election, aren't they? Uh, yes, yes, and that's the problem. You see, I don't think they. I think it's genuinely hard to think in either direction. Um, and if you look, uh, if you look at it from the Labour side, um, where I think I'm gonna, you know, credit with Corwin and team with being at least aware of these uncertainties and fears around, they have been pretty vocal about. Not well. They have vocally not supported the views that Remainers would like to hear this week, saying that they might not even pick a side in any future referendum. It's just something that it would have been better not to bring up, because you know that sort of thing is going to inflame people. I think. Well, that, it sends out the wrong message. It's a terrible problem that the the current uh, leadership of the Labour and culture of the Labour Party has, isn't it? That they're all going to be quite honest when asked an honest question. Most of them are going to come out at that time with an honest answer. And a lot of the time, that is a boring, <laughs> complicated series of ifs and ifs and whens. Or, uh, or it always it sounds like you're punting it down the road. But no, what we're actually saying is, yeah, we're a democratic party. We're going to come up with a decision when the options present themselves. As a democratic party, <laughs> you have to accept that you can't do that much democracy before short-term political events. But, well, who knows what will, what will make conference, actually. I'd be surprised if a Brexit motion doesn't make um, Labour conference this time. Um, I'd, I'd actually... Don't worry, I'm sure if there's anything contentious, they'll take it out using compromise. Well, that's what conference is for. The, <laughs> it's for coming up with a compromise that the Labour movement can get behind. Um, but I think there are more important things that should be at, at conference. I'm hoping that the Green New Deal will be there, for example. I think that's the largest threat facing us all. <laughs> you think you think the Green New Deal is a threat? What's wrong with it? Um, or is it just the fact there'll be there'll be no money to it implement it if the economy is destroyed? It doesn't go far enough. It doesn't. This economy will be destroyed. Thing is, is a. a uh, I don't know. I think it's a red herring. Because um, we can, there is, you have to ride on the prevailing um, sort of political and economic conditions. Capitalism is in crisis and it's collapsing all around us. The climate catastrophe is only going to accelerate that. We need to be able to do these things, whether or not conventional capitalist economic wisdom suggests we can or whether we can't and i think it's um it's if there is a parallel to be drawn from the sort of um spirit of the second world war it's that the nhs was founded when we were the most in debt we ever bloody well had been and we found the money for that i guess we'd stop spending so much money on wars so everyone felt that we're flush well i mean who would i mean it's a contentious. It it seems to be a contentious point, and this probably won't make conference when it again when it probably should. 
is uh, yeah, what where's what's that money? What's that Trident money doing? Shouldn't it be doing something else? I think so. You can't you can't nuke uh, you can't nuke the carbon dioxide, or maybe you can. What is uh, the current Labour policy on our lovely big nuclear whiz bangs? Um, as far as I'm aware, uh, the policy is to with new, with renew Trident, but not to use it. Okay. So that seems to chime nicely with being supportive of the unions, keeping everyone employed, keeping the money that keeps us in NATO, and doesn't really chime with uh, Mr Corbyn and his disarmament. Well, that's a, I think the, the point was that that is, a, that is a compromise because it was felt that it, we, it wouldn't be able to... We wouldn't be able to get th- through uh, a sort of unilateral um, stance on it through... Through conference, and I think that's that's a in the spirit of compromise and picking the battles. The but it's but what is true is there has been movement on the unions on this sort of issue over recent years. People are now waking up to the fact that we need to transition, not just from jobs that uh, are harming the planet to green jobs. We need to transfer like the um, sort of Leyland model away from jobs that are based on weapons to jobs that are based on green tech, things that are going to save the planet and not destroy people. I think there is movement on that. I would be surprised, horrendously surprised, if Trident came up at this year's Labour conference. But I think it should do it. I don't think it'll be long before the argument will be won. By by you guys, I guess. I quite like the idea of keeping the nuclear whiz-bangs to make us look hard in front of the other nations. There's nothing... Although I'm, I'm also not suggesting letting them off. There, there is absolutely nothing. Are you suggesting that those large phallic symbols make us look in any way hard? I mean, it's absolutely true, perhaps, that Kim Jong-un or Vladimir Putin or Donald Trump would use their nuclear weapons. Are they, that's a credible threat. It's not a credible threat that Britain would use its nuclear weapons in a first strike situation it's not a credible threat we would never do that it would never it, it would never ever work out well for us oh i don't mean that we're not reckless we are stupid and fucking reckless and destructive and dangerous but... so actually you're going to this is a bit of a tangent then adam but what is uh to remain uh to renew have a uh a policy on trident no, I don't believe we've discussed this. Um, I can tell you mine um, is broadly equivalent, you know. Best to, best to renew them for now, so to speak. Um, you never know. Are you, is that, you, is that uh, you as a renewed spokesman announcing a policy? No, God, no. <laughs> but- no, I can't. I'm scrolling down the list of policies. It doesn't get I'm going to goad you into uh, setting a renew policy per per week. I think. Um, okay, so here's another renew policy I'm going to ask you about. Um, do you do, does renew has renew had conversations about the Lib Dems strat, uh, strategy on the on Labour's offer? Do they agree with it? Would though they obviously haven't been invited because they have no MPs. But hypothetically, if there was one, what would happen? Uh, well, the sort of offer that uh, Renew is likely to be involved in is pre-next election, uh, making sure that, you know, organising candidates. Um, so, 
you know, there's very little we can do to be involved at the moment. No, but hyp- hypothetically, say um, Chukramana picks another new party next week and it's yours. You've got an MP. Uh, that's true. Then we could have MP. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've forgot. I've forgotten he hasn't joined us yet. Uh, it's just. It's, it's just. It's just a. Yeah. An, just another pull of the uh, the one arm bandit of um, Chukramana's politics. <laughs> uh, he spins, and you get. Oh, bless if it him. lights on, if it <laughs> this time it alighted on three lemons. If it alights on uh, three bells or whatever, he's probably he's he's over to you. And but you have a leadership. He's not the leader, so he's uh, enthralled to the policies of your party. Is he told that he should be going along with um, Labour's offer? Um, do you know? I think. I mean, I tell you what I would do. Speaking as someone who hasn't, had, I, I would be inclined to ask him his thoughts. That's how we got into this mess. <laughs> I mean, you know, at the end of the day, he's likely to know rather more about it than me, because I've never been in the uh, in the office. But let's. But let's see. In the but the Labour Party, uh, as a at the moment, it, the big criticism of it two years ago was that it didn't look like a, a government in waiting. It looks like a government in waiting now. There are plans, there are policies, there are people with briefs who are across them. There are strategies for for one day or a hundred days, for um, for two terms, for three terms, in terms of how the economy can uh, can change and. Be um, be improved and be brought closer to um, the working person. It's it, it's it looks it, the one thing you can't say, and I think that is the big one of the the sort of Lib Dems and, and sort of big problems with the idea that Jeremy Corbyn might take temporary uh, premiership is that that's one of the last barriers. He doesn't look like a prime minister. Oh, he is the prime minister. Yeah, well, I think that's an understandable concern for other parties. Um, is that if he had to hang around a bit longer, and I, I think we all know that he would have to hang around a bit longer, he would start to look a bit prime ministerial in the rather excruciating way that even, you know, some of the pictures of Boris Johnson... Sorry, Alexander... Let's just call it Mr Johnson, is starting to look a bit prime ministerial in pictures of other people's houses. And he's going to be in G7 in a few days. Have you seen that, um, the photo of him uh, with Macron? Um, sitting? With his feet on the yeah, table. Yeah, well, he's just here in my genitals, please cut them, as he was saying. But the, the, it's, all about, it's all about cock with these right-wingers. Have you seen the length of the tie as well? That's a Trump thing as well. <laughs> when you started there with, have you seen the length? I was waiting to see where that was going to go. Well, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure there are some uh, people in the showers of Eton and also pigs' heads in, in the Oxford area that will know exactly what we're dealing with. Um, and Macron's only got small hands, but I'm sure he will. Uh, he will be able to gesture something for us. But it's it's a it's very odd, and it almost what? makes you. Does, sorry, does that mean when Democrats in America bang on about the size of Trump's hands, they're trying to draw I've just never thought about this before but they're really talking about his uh, I got they may they may well be either that or they're making thinly veiled um, references to Jeremy Beadle for an audience that I didn't know existed that side of the pond the um, <laughs> bizarre, talking of um, Highgate Cemetery which we are on any podcast associated with the left at all times um so Jeremy Beadle's in there. Um, Douglas Adams is uh, ashes are in turn there. Um, Jer- Jeremy Corbyn doesn't live too far Jeremy from there. Jeremy Beadle's 
uh, gravestone is in there. Jeremy Beale's gravestone, as a complete aside, is a huge uh, scroll of a book with Jeremy Beadle, author, engraved on it. It's not 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 a pile of video cassettes uh, teetering, or not a not a car that's been set, uh, pushed into a hole by a workman with a, a, an even a big false beard over a normal beard. <laughs> uh, none of that. No. <laughs> so, assuming that you know the stones and that kind of thing survive the global catastrophe, and years later. Another species evolves and sort of starts picking its way. Oh my the God! Nest. They did it, they... the Eumaniacs. <laughs> you made Jeremy Beadle an author. Um, but assuming that Brexit isn't a, uh, a whole Beadle's about plot, and we're we're finally going to tear off Boris Johnson's face and uh, find out it was the old man that ran the uh, fairground all along. <laughs> I like the idea of it being Scooby Doo at the end. That would be fantastic. But assuming we're, assuming we're going to do that, okay, we come, we're going to ask a question like this on this podcast every week. Adam, does the option of remaining in the European Union still exist? Strangely, I think it nearly does at the moment, um, but it only remains until an either an extension. Or a, uh, I think the longer it's extended, the more people will come round. But <laughs> I think, yeah, I know. What you're laughing I'm at? Not, I can't, so, I can't I've, I've still got the idea of looking at the the length of um, Boris Johnson's uh, penis. <laughs> Johnson. So, so if you uh, the the longer we wait for an extension, and the longer it gets, more people will come round. So I think. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. You get, yes. Once you've got the word Johnson stuck in your head, everything so, okay. seems a bit so silly, I'm very doesn't sorry it? Sorry about that. Everything does seem. No. <laughs> no. I, I'm trying to work out whether I'll let it that out or not. <laughs> but just so, so I let. Um, so if if say okay, so we get say we, there is by some means an extension is secured. Uh, does that that keeps the hope of that keeps the hope of actual remaining alive, or does it keep does it keep the idea of a, a soft deal alive? I honestly think one more extension, if it's like if for some political reason a lengthy extension is granted, twelve months, that kind of thing, I think that quite a lot of people will be will think that the best way out of the whole thing is just to remain, and that will chime in quite nicely with the large number of people who would like to remain. And I think since the word rationing has started to be touted this time, there are going to be some, you know, one or two of the people who are the, the Remainer Now group that we're starting to see on social media. Um, and I've met a few people like that who, uh, yeah, might have thought that a bit of patriotism was a good idea, but... They have their limits. I think people are just tired of it. And a lot, if it seems the easiest thing to do is not to do it, that actually might be the winning thing. I'm not saying that's a great thing. So I think the idea of remaining is still plausible for now. But I think once we're out, I think that you will never get all 27 remaining countries, because one of them is still France, to let us back in. 
So once we're out, we will have whatever problems we have to deal with and we're probably not going to get a particularly good deal in terms of trade. So it might, well, certainly given who's in power at the moment, the might be the best we can hope for is an adequate, uh, you know, free trade zone without the immigration. I personally like the immigration, but I understand that that's a political difficulty for many racists, sorry, voters. Well, it's, um, I'm glad that you still have some confidence in it, though, because I, 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 one thing I do agree with you is I, I, think the, I genuinely think the idea of a deal fades away uh, by the week. Of any kind of deal, does the any kind of deal that would stand up to a vote either way? Um, I very rarely agree with David Davis, but he was on the radio this morning, which is uh, Thursday the twenty second, as we speak, um, saying that he now sees it as fifty fifty, some kind of deal versus no deal. He doesn't entertain the possibility of canning the whole thing, obviously. Well, that's yeah. I I don't I. I don't see the. I can see the possibility of a, of a, a deal being offered, but I can't see the possibility of that deal getting through. Really, I genuinely can't. Um, well, I still think that uh, Alexandra Boris de Peffel Johnson would quite like to try out being prime minister for a little longer, and um, I think that the election would come quite soon after rationing, queues at Dover, all that kind of thing, might make it quite hard for him to win one. But I think that's I, I think that's true. I think I genuinely don't think he'll ever win one. I don't think he'll lose it, though, um, to be absolutely honest, because I think if it happens shortly after a no-deal scenario, there was already no point in the, uh, the uh, sorry the Brexit party. Uh, and the Brexit party is the main hope at the moment for almost anyone other than the Tories uh, taking votes off the Tories, but especially the Lib Dems. It's interesting, isn't it? There is a there is a particular level of Brexit party voting that wipes out the Tories without getting them any seats. It's um, I know it's maybe fifteen, sixteen percent or something, um, and in that scenario, you get a you get a la- you get a Labour government. But you get a very small Conservative party because you get quite a large Lib Dem one. I'm trying to work out if you've got the twenty. You know, those Brexit voters. Some of them could come from the left, some of them from the right. But you know, so they're they're helping out, or in some way sending a message to a future Labour government, which might be largely composed of Remainers. But of course, we have to remember that those twenty percent, you know, the real workers. Uh, the characters uh, from the north who we're always told are the real Labour members. We're, we're told we're told uh, that by people who are in Labour, by the way. We're told that by the the Guardian. We're told that by um, we're told that by the same people who say that Theresa May's parked her tanks on our lawn. I don't even think she owns a tank. The um, it, this is not. No one says that, but no one makes that distinction about real Labour voters. Labour voters are all over the place. And labor labor stand, and labor just simply doesn't work like that there is no the ha- the pandering to the the, the the racists that were the the pandering to the racists that used to vote labor was not 
it was a was a thing that has ended. That's ended now, thankfully. That was a last. The last throws of that were under uh, the the Miliband controls and immigration stuff. So everything that I've read to that effect, every every quote, is an op-ed in the Guardian, and absolutely no point has any sitting MP or anything said something about the, uh, you know, the traditional heartland. Membership. Most, I'm not going to say nobody. I'm going to say most people that say that. I think you're very wise to yeah to not <laughs> stick to most. It. Most most because people that say that are using it as a straw man to uh, to to create problems in like to defend their own positions. There are, and it's more likely to be those people who have. All sort of on the right of Labour who are coming out with those things to good. Okay, right. Well, I won't. Uh, I won't click through the interweb and find lots of hilarious examples then. Well, yeah, I mean, you could you could probably find them, but it's the sort of thing Yvette Cooper. I, believe me, I can. But <laughs> it's the sort of thing Yvette Cooper would might say, or Caroline Flint, or um, people like that. We're not her, 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 her. Caroline Flint's name does come up in the list. Yeah, of course, of course, um, and. You'd, <laughs> Caroline Flint is not in a position of influence in the Labour Party. <laughs> yeah, so we come on to our feature that we instigated last week, which is, it probably needs a better name, but I quite like it as it is. Uh, the, the question is, are they clever or are they stupid? And um, I thought and you can um i don't think you need a better name i think that's pretty clear isn't well, it? as long as people don't um take it as a referendum on us two um there's that's that's the best idea and i, I thought this week we could discuss the um the journalism techniques of uh, itv's political editor robert peston um sorry what's itv i'm gonna have to explain that uh oh Oh, that was the button with the tape over it that said no on my parents' television in middle-class land, right? It was where you... Um, it's where you might have seen um, uh, Rising Damp or um, I'm trying to think of something else that was worth watching that was on ITV. <laughs> Harry Hill's TV burp. Um, the... The, he has a, a Robert Pesson was quite uh, beloved of lots of people when he was on the... Actually, I do, I do very vaguely remember Spitting Image. That was actually it, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. He was um, so they did a good thing. They did once. a good thing once that may have contributed to the satirical um, system in the Na- nature of society. Ever since, they, yes, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but then they brought society down. Them, them and Rory Bremner, and then Generation X just came along and rolled them. Well, um, Mikhail Gorbachev does actually um, think that um, satire was one of the things that uh, felled the Soviet Union, and the um, East. German Stasi felt that satire was so important that they used to fund slightly satirical magazines uh, that would sort of um, <laughs> satiate uh, society's need for satire. So they didn't get any of those without people getting a bit too. Like, yeah, no, they would. They, mild they would satire. Delib- PG satire. They would deliberately satirise the lazy uh, person in the um, the sort of middle manager. And also, and also, though anybody doing real satire was rounded up and shot, of course. But um, well, that's discouraging as well, isn't it? It, 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 it's, it's always discouraged me. It's why I'm always <laughs> mild. But Robert Paston is the ITV's political editor, and I don't watch his TV program because 
his Twitter feed. It's on ITV, yeah, yeah. And his Twitter feed annoys the hell out of me. And it annoys the hell out of me because Robert Peston seems to do this thing where he displays his total ignorance on every matter he's discussing. Um, we'll come on to today's example, which, of course, is Brexit-related in a moment. But a few weeks ago, during the um, Alistair Campbell uh, being auto-excluded from Labour uh, incident, he tweeted something about, oh, Labour can get rid of Alistair Campbell really quickly, but they can't do it, blah, 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 blah. And he went, your ITV's political editor, is it too much for you or one of your researchers to read the rule book? Is it too much for you or one of your researchers to read the rule book to see that whatever you think, whether or not you think it's the right thing, whether or not you think the rules are right, uh, can you not read the fact that not only was auto-exclusion a thing that was brought in by uh, Campbell, or at least in the Campbell era, that the um, auto-exclusion is not for voting for someone else, it's for promoting the voting of someone else, because, of course, we've got no idea who he votes for, say, tells him. But we'll park that. But this is a thing that Robert Pearson does a lot. I don't think he promoted voting for someone else. I think he just said he had done. And promoted... Quite, and quite a lot of other members of the Labour Party did. Very few of them did on national television the de- uh, and promoting the voting in the subsequent election. Unusually that we had two elections um, close, on, close on each other. But, but today's, um, today's Robert Pearson statement... Um, suggested that uh, Angela Merkel, by uh, su- suggesting... The Angela Merkel statement was along the lines of, as far as I understand it, oh, you think you can come up with some... You can think you can come up with these alternative arrangements that mean we don't need a backstop, Boris Johnson. You've got 30 days. Robert Person seemed to suggest that that was Angela Merkel pulling the rug from under Philip Hammond and other Tory Remainers by saying you could negotiate in the next 30 days and the backstop could be eliminated. It's... it's That's mad. It's genuinely mad that he thinks that. But is he clever or is he stupid? Is this a bluff to sort of... Is he playing the, the stupid card and hoping that someone will reveal something? I don't know. It's a good question, isn't it? Because he seems quite clever, but maybe that's just because he's got that sort of glasses. And, you know... Technically, he's an author, which I can... I'm just going to read uh, from his Twitter, uh, his Twitter profile. ITV, open brackets, poll ed, close brackets, which I'm assuming is short for political editor, comma, capital S, speakers for schools, so that must be a thing, open brackets, founder, close brackets, comma, writer, open brackets, WTF, close brackets. <laughs> now... The first time I read that, I thought it might be because he's quite surprised that he can string a sentence together, or at least his ghost can. Um, but no, actually, apparently, that's the title of his book. Yes, I, I, I'm more uh, horrified by the fact he feels the need... Arsenal fan. He, he feels the need to tell us which stand he sits at, at the Arsenal ground. So, I, I, are we saying, I mean, can someone... Can, could someone genuinely that naive become political editor of one of our national broadcasters? Is that possible? Well, I mean, we're going to start by saying, obviously, one would hope not. And on an occasion, he was far from alone about making the Alistair Campbell observation that you made. And 
it wouldn't be unfair to suggest that his point might have actually been against the rules. He may, you know, he may have understood that the rules being applied were different, but I think the obvious inconsistency was worth pointing out. Um, well, does it, I don't, let, let's 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 leave that aside because today's example just looks dumb, doesn't it? Very clearly, uh, Angela Merkel was giving Boris an awkward deadline, while also cleverly, from her point of view, not actually saying no. So not letting Boris come back and go, ha, ah, see, it's all the Europeans' fault. I told you the Europeans were rubbish. Because obviously his plan is to blame everything on anyone else he possibly can. So he's setting everyone up to be blamed when something goes wrong. Um, it has to be said that uh, Marcon maybe lost his cool when Boris put his feet on the uh, table because he didn't quite do so well in that score, did he? It's... Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's very easy to play Macron um, because he's a he's an angry little man, isn't he? Essentially, um, an angry an angry worried little man as well, like who probably has a sense of uh, imposter syndrome. It's um, well, he is an imposter. <laughs> I mean, if, well, it, well, quite. It's whereas you can never blame uh, that on uh, Mr. Johnson, can you? He uh, certainly feels like he should be there. Well, he he, he doesn't. He's um, I don't know. Is it possible to have a combination of the Dunning Kruger effect and imposter and imposter syndrome? When you were uh, the more you were uh, really are an imposter, the less likely you're actually going to notice about it. I don't know whether that <laughs> that works, but. It's. Um, I th- oh no! I, I just think they just take that section out of the brain surgically at Eton. Well, the um, well, in a way they do because that's if public school teaches you nothing, and I come into contact with quite a lot of public school educated people, um, it teaches them to have absolute supreme fucking confidence in themselves, and that everybody else will bend to their will. Yeah, it's a shame that more of them don't go off to become adventurers or that kind of thing where, you know, well done to them if they do successfully walk around a mountain or across some ice or something like that. But, you know, if they don't, ah, well, no bait loss, right? If, Better that than Prime Minister. If Boris's Johnson was lost to frostbite, I think we would all celebrate. They need to go off and, uh, and train themselves a little better because uh, did you see the Bernie Sanders' tweet today? He said... Oh, can he still tweet? I thought he was too old. He said, if there's going to be class warfare in this country, it's about time the working class won that war. He's sadly not, bro. He's, um... This is... The fight is on. He's, uh... uh, You know, we we genuinely are seeing the, um... I think a a harshening of the lines uh, across the the world. We need to fight, genuinely fight, capital now. And, uh... I'm glad that he I'm looked, glad that some people are waiting so up at it. Bernie Sanders, he looked so sad when he didn't get the nomination because of the the way the Democrats backstabbed him. Well, that's that's their only path. That's the only path to Trump victory. Uh, is that um, as far as I can see, is that the Democrats find a way to exclude Sanders again because um, he's, a pol- he's he's even polling ahead in Texas. Well, Texas is. Uh... Majority non-white state these days, isn't it? It's uh, it's a not the same environment that people think it is. 
Well, if you if you can get them out to if yeah if 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 there isn't voter suppression, I think there's um there's, there's it's it's all to play for as it is. But if you look at some of the other, I don't know a lot about American politics, but the bit I see floating through um the ether on Twitter is that as far as I can see, if they end up with a centrist candidate, they're done for because they'll just be rolled over. But um a, think, in a fight in a fight, well, we I think that's a I think that's a prevailing view amongst. Um, you know, everybody but the twenty centrist democratic well, candidates. I gonna, well, I mean that doesn't look good either. No, I'm prepared to accept that the centrism isn't looking ideal, but the real question is what happens when money becomes a thing later, because the U.S. election does seem to require quite a bit of money. Every it's, it's, it's true, isn't it, that every um, presidency has been won by the, the side that spent the most money. I think that's true, isn't it, going back a long time. Um, I'd, that's probably true in the UK as well. Um, do we think the Tories spent less in? Well, I guess they may have done. They, the writing was on the wall. I then. suppose if you, um, I suppose you possibly in the UK would have to factor in sort of earned, earned column inches in the same way as a, a PR agency would count up all those um, earned inches in the tabloids and things like that, um, which I don't think matters quite so much in America. Um, yeah. uh, let's talk. You're talking about those academics. Those academics that are not being asked the questions about Brexit. Maybe we could get one of those to um, to sort that out. I definitely think we'll have a, we'll have a better, a bigger look at the um, the US election as we come forward and as we get very, very tired of Brexit. It's nice to blame, you know, to look across and to think, ah, see, other countries are making a terrible mess of their former democratic constitutions as well. But I heard in that. Adam, you said that it wasn't looking good for centrism. So I think, as the bell goes, that in the US, that makes it two 0 another victory in the second episode for I me. I don't think we got to the. I don't think we got to the end of our Robert Pesford review. <laughs> okay, again, come on. Well, no, I mean, I didn't hear what you think. I think. Oh no, I think he's. A I, bitch. I, I, I genuinely. So I, I, I felt it was a bit of a one-one scenario. I think he looked a total dum dum today. And um, sorry, was it today or yesterday? The, with the response to the thing, it just he could have taken a different phrasing or something to qualify it. It. He is right though, actually, is that because. But what what he's left out is the way that Boris. Johnson's team are spinning that 30 days is it looks like the beginning of Europe changing their mind whereas I think we all knew that if anyone went over and presented a sensible alternative this late in the day it would have been looked at even if they said it wouldn't everyone knew that I think really all it was was uh, you know the verbal equivalent of Angela Merkel Tapping her watch and giving him a bit of a stare, <laughs> but I th- the underlying the fact is that that is going to be given to the friendly media you just described is going to make it look like there is an opportunity that the whole threatening no deal is starting to work, which does start to make I don't like the words Gawkward Squad, but for the, the anti-no deal thing, it is uncomfortable. You know, it's uncomfortable territory if you think that there is flexibility. You want, if you are an anti-no dealer more than anything else, if you are risking 
working with Jeremy Corbyn or some other government of national unity, then it's absolutely terrifying if, you know, that you might do something like that and still not win. Because you are ending your political career for our thing. Oh, you're having you're, people are having morals and the, the courage of their convictions. It's um, yeah, which is never ever encouraged in politics. There is, yeah. I mean, there there are very few, increasingly vanishingly few people um, that have shown that they will do that. Um, luckily, we've got quite a few on the in the Labour Party that have shown the courage of their convictions, and it looked to have ended there, like. Well, like when Kate, Kate Howie stood up with Tommy uh, Robinson. I mean, you know, that's really sticking with your convictions, isn't it? Well, it's sticking with a convicted man. Uh, <laughs> the um, I, I think we can all agree that um, it's... I don't think there's anybody from across the political spectrum that thinks it's a bad thing mm-hmm. that she's no longer going to be a Labour MP. Good luck to her in whatever she wishes to do next. <laughs> so, yeah, so what's your thought on Robert Peston? Peston is... It, I, 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 I used to think he was quite clever. I used to think I used to find him quite insightful. I think he knows more about economics than he does politics. I think he's got. A, I think he because he was economics editor at the BBC. I think that in the because politics is because economics is seen through the prism of politics on most of our reporting in the UK. Quite rightly, I suppose, but it really is that made him think that he was an expert on politics when he, he may have had a little bit of a ground in, in economic theory but he has he knows nothing about political theories or political history so he's totally enthralled to the he said he said um spin game of it but i also think he i also think he thinks he's cleverer than he is because i think that he he thinks he's he thinks he's sort of one step ahead of the spinning but i genuinely think it's a sort of game of sort of, I don't know, spin chess or whatever. These, the, the, the Cummings, Dominic Cummings of this world are a few spins ahead of him. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that might be true. Um, or, I, I don't know if he feels it's his job or not, or maybe, maybe he genuinely doesn't know, but he might also feel that he just has to explain these things to an audience who don't like to be challenged too much can only really cope with one thought at a time i think i think that's i think that's possible there there is a um a sort of disdain for the the viewing public in the same way that a lot of politicians have a disdain for the electorate um and i mean yeah he's the son of a lord uh, and a Labour life peer. Is that right? It's a new one on me. Uh, and uh, he went to Oxford, of course, and the and Brussels. So I feel like he ought to be relatively. Well, no, I mean. If you're the son of a lord, you're welcome to go to Oxford, aren't you? Just get on the same thing. But uh, the the crucial detail I left out there is Lord Peston, an economist and Labour life peer. So, yeah, I think he's probably always been thinking about the numbers. I think, 
his, you know, his time at the FT and the BBC might make him a little bit snooty about his current audience. So one might assume that he was lured to ITV by a fat pile of cash. And those glasses do make him look quite smart, which means that it might be easier, you know, I do. I fall for that all the time. <laughs> Glasses, smart. Adam, Adam <laughs> Juniper, are you clever or are you stupid? Me? Yes. Well, I, I don't have glasses. I don't have... Um, I have some Google glasses in an attic somewhere, but I think those just made me a glass hole, didn't they? <laughs> it's... Um, okay, I'm, I think... I think... I, maybe we don't have to come to a complete um, conclusion on Peston. Maybe we can say that he, Maybe we can say that he has a sort of stupid, uh, stupid tennis going on with his own brain. <laughs> like one week he comes up with a, a really succinct and quite impressive analysis. Uh, another week late, you know, um, it's it's this not even understanding a very simple bit of politics going on with Boris Johnson. But what he can do is stress the wrong word or a random word in a sentence to make him uh, have a intriguing uh, vocal style that the sort that would give him a, um, a, a pri- recognisable personality to get a prime slot on ITV. So maybe he's the clever one and we're all stupid. He's clever for an entirely different reason. Yeah, I think you might have a point. And that's, it's good, you know, in a day where TV matters less than it used to, playing, having a thing, in his case two things, a, a dramatic voice and clever glasses... Uh, yeah, he is the smart one. And I don't know where that um, t- t- uh, rings us, as in competition, as the referee comes over to stop the fight. Um, whether or not you, uh, whether or not that was a bit of a, a draw, you did admit that centrism was on its way out in America. So I think I might take this one on points. Adam, it's been lovely fighting with you again. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say I, I defended, you know, my big centrist issue uh, of Brexit successfully in the UK. Uh, you know, I gave hope, uh, and I'm gonna say that I didn't miss that they'd been stupid. I didn't say they'd <laughs> lost yet. So uh, I, I think I, I think I'd like this to be, you know, like the second test. He's suggesting that um, this has been rained off, and we we get to have a rematch. <laughs> next week um, that, I hope it, anybody who has made it to the end of this um, is uh, ready to join us then too it's been lovely talking to you Adam and uh, I'll speak to you soon bye bye everybody bye y'all bye.